0: We read, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things for which we did not look. You came down, the mountain shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any god besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Now, just before I even move on to close that little section, I want you to notice how there's this cry that goes out. And this response that we see, the fire, the brushwood, the, you know, causing the water to boil, he's saying, while we've not ever actually physically heard, seen the God we worship, we've seen the effects. It's the same thing Jesus is saying when Nicodemus says, how in the world is somebody going to be born again? Can to enter the womb for a second? What are you talking about? And he says, you know, I paraphrase you know, that whole thing. You know, you don't even understand natural things. How are you going to understand spiritual things? You know, the wind blows. You don't even know what that's about. How am I going to explain to you when the spirit moves, causes something to be given birth to? The effect, you guys. Oh, show me God. And I don't believe in God. No one's ever seen God. Now, how can you believe in something you know you can't even see? We can see his effect. You know, answered prayer. You know, the circumstance that the Lord takes care of, the things that show us that He is in our environment. You know, you get the impression from the lies our enemy tells that you know the devil has you know equal capabilities, you know. Poltergeist and scary, spooky, you know, he can show you he's in your environment. No. No, the Lord alone is the one who answers prayer. If if that is possible, you're talking about a created being that can only be in one place at one time. This is the God of all things who our brothers and sisters, on the other side of the planet, praying for their needs, are being heard instantaneous with us here and the Lord responding and capable of responding to all as as much as you can say, you know uh, the fires that burn a brush that boil the water, the Lord they're going to tremble at his presence, the mountains will shake his presence. No one else has been capable of doing this in verse five you Meet with him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned in these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. For all the evidence that God has put forward, believers still walk away from him, still choose their own path, still live uh, sinful lives. Uh, the evidence uh, of his being there is an evidence that you know demands of us an obedience, and the Lord is saying, "I'm angry. You know, you are angry, indeed angry. Why? Because you sinned, and in speaking of those sins, you continue in them. This is your way. You need to be saved." Is what he, you know, it's it's a very plain. You know, there's no metaphor laid out here. He's just saying, this is the junk you're in right now. This is where you're at. You need to be saved. You need to be delivered from these things. It's an unfortunate thing <clears throat> that Christianity has done to make those within Christianity comfortable. The ever worrisome concern of how is the crowd going to react to the message. Always get the finger on the pulse of the people's response. There's a necessary, there's a necessary approach to declaring a thing for the danger that it is, for helping people to be freed from that. That's a very loving thing. You you want the Lord to rend the heavens? You want Him to come down? Then He's got to have the free access to tell you where you've gone wrong, why you're in such a desperate place that you would need to call out to Him in this way. Oh God, save me now. Right, because you're in need of saving. So unfortunate. Verse 6, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities you know this uncleanness and the way he describes it. i'm sure most of us are you know familiar with the level of uncleanness that he's referring to here but the pride that's behind this now this is your true condition you're a filthy thing an unspeakable filthy thing and yet You feel as though you're righteous. You know, your righteousness are like filthy rags. We compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And it's all varying degrees of unrighteousness. You know, who goes away justified, right? The one who is inflicting upon themselves the pain of their sin and begging the Lord's forgiveness, beat upon his chest and said, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. You know, the self righteous that says, oh, thank God I'm not like this man over here. One goes away justified. The one that lives in that place of humility. You know, that Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts in Matthew chapter 5. Yeah, you know, And the very first thing. You think about this, guy, guys. Here's Jesus stepping into his earthly ministry in his first public sermon of, like, substantial doctrine you know all of chapter 5 6 and 7 jesus stands there and teaches the multitude that is following him he starts out with blessed are the poor in spirit the key note the cornerstone of his ministry and his message humility blessed are the poor in spirit and he builds outward from there and the megal inherit the earth and we you know know most of that the idea that he Founds his doctrine and his ministry upon humility. It's interesting to me. And, you know, I I don't hear a lot of commentators mentioning that. King of meekness, king of humility. I mean, king of all strength, right? Every knee bow, every tongue confess, you know, all power, all might, all glory, all, all that is radiant belongs to Jesus Christ, right? But king of humility. Could have easily snuffed out the lives of every single person that was torturing him and questioning him that mockery of a trial. A bag over his head, punching him out, saying, If you're a prophet, tell us, you know, who just hit you? Well, how about I just make you stop breathing right now? You know, or something like that. You know, in our anger, right, in our unrighteousness, we would demonstrate whatever level of strength we have. We would latch out Henriette Halli meekness. Humility here, this whole thing, as far as what has caused his face to be hidden from it, it's because of the iniquities. The the righteousness, your righteousness is filthy rags. Brokenness, contrite spirit, these the Lord will not despise. Verse 8, now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you our potter. And all we are the works of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praised you, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? Mm. The confession that we're in your hands. You've you've brought us to this point, and you've molded us and shaped us through life, and now we are what we are. So in your hands, Lord, we're submitted to that. But in the midst of this thing, the description of, What they've become as a people, a wilderness, a desolation, that the temple, which was beautiful, burned with fire. You know, what have we come to? A ruinous end. I don't know if you've read much of Charles Spurgeon. He, you know, I know a lot of people don't like him. He's very wordy. I like that. I like the whole cerebral approach that he takes to things. And he describes an occasion where he was walking with a fellow minister, and they saw a man ahead of them, a drunkard, staggering, who fell into the ditch for being so drunk. And his fellow minister said to Spurgeon, Isn't that one of your converts? And Spurgeon, without any hesitation, records that he responded, Surely it must be later he gave great explanation in that that man cannot be a convert of Jesus Christ i mean the sum totality of my work in that man's life might result in something that looks like that isn't that one of your converts probably that's that yeah that looks like my handiwork doesn't look like the work of Jesus Christ. That's what Spurgeon was saying. And he elaborated on quite a bit here. You know, yes, we're in your hands. Yes, we're clay, but who are we? We're a people, you know, they're confessing, you know, we've made you angry. You're furious. Do not be furious. Don't, don't, don't hold us in this place of punishment and affliction, you know, forever. Give us relief. They're begging God for that. Now, as you move into chapter 65, it says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. And I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. Now, before I move into verse 3 here, there's a way of looking at this that uh, maybe speaks of the Gentile church that was to come. You know, I, I'm uh, you know speaking to a people that I essentially did not know you know, a nation that was not called by my name. So you get that sort of Gentile sense of things in there. But there's also a way of looking at this that is, you know, this is Israel. This is supposed to be what, by definition, governed by God, right? But they're not. So the name is in vain. It's not, you know. Like Spurgeon is saying, that's not a convert of Christ. That might be a convert of me. You know, these aren't a people of God. (laughs) They've got a name, but, I mean, this is not, their their name doesn't match their conduct. These aren't, these are not people governed by God, is what they, you know, what is being said here. You know, according to their own thoughts, They they don't, their mind is not governed by me. I don't say go and do and follow and obey, and they do that. They go by their own thoughts. They govern themselves by their own method. They, they've got their own thing. And what and, you know, what do we know about that? I mean, the greater view of that is there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads him to death. You know, our our approach, our thought, the, the way we reason things out, so unfortunate that we do things according to our own thoughts. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice and garden and burnt incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves, who spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh. And a broth of abominable things is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I'm holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. So a picture that the Lord Paints here, and the the way that he presents these people, you know, they have this, you know, idea of getting in God's face about it. You know that statement that continually to my face. This isn't just even the boldness of um, they exist. You know, here in Israel, here amongst his people, and obviously they should not. It's not even just that; it's the idea of literally in defiance, standing up and and really presenting your rebellion uh, to the authority that's over you. We we see it a lot. The scripture describes that, puts it forward. Paul does in you know Romans there when he's talking about the judgment of God and how they're so brazen about their public presentation of their sin, flaunting it. Psalms talks about that over and over. Will you get to a place in a culture where it's just right out? Of, you know, they're having parades literally to celebrate their sinfulness. You know, their their gay pride parades just to to flaunt that right in the face of the public. So strange that the pattern always runs the same. You always yeah. get to that place, and then all of these things that are mentioned, which are. Uh, reflective of the pagan worship, you know, you've got these gardens and the altars of brick, and the, you know, being amongst the graves and that, you know, in the tombs at night and eating the swine's flesh. You're, you know, the dietary restraints of Israel—that's far outside anything of that. And yet, what is their summary of themselves? Right? get away from me. Why, well, I'm holier than you. I just—I can't believe some of the things. That, you know, we're hearing from those who claim to be Christians around us and the things that they think are righteous. They're simultaneously endorsing and legalizing and promoting every gross sin and perversion that is known to man and yet declaring themselves to be followers of Jesus Christ. It's horrendous. So this is what the Lord is saying. That you're like, you know, the smoke. This, this is the idea. Like you're, you're hanging out with your friends at the campfire, and you just, you get trying to get away from that smoke, and finally get up and move around the other side, and it just follows you right around. The smoke in the eyes that you just cannot get away from. That's what the Lord is saying here. This isn't like the pleasant aroma of incense burning in the room when you come in. And, oh, that's fragrant and enjoyable. No, this is the smoke that is just burning your nostrils and burning your eyes. I've experienced that enough times to know, oh, I'm going to regret this really bad tomorrow. I'm going to get up and have a headache. And I'm going to have, this is, you know, it's so annoying. It creates such aggravation. That's what the Lord is saying. Is all this fake approach of convincing yourself you're actually walking with me sickening and has this level of burning intensity that makes me angry all the day verse six behold it is written before me i will not keep silence but will repay even repay into their bosom their iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers together now before we move on i really want to iron that out the way That our doctrine really presents it. You know, I'm going to, their iniquities and the iniquities of their father together. Scripture is very clear. God does not punish the children for the sins of the father or vice versa. The reason this line is drawn out for us this way is because it hasn't changed from father to son. The father sinned in this way, and now the son is sinning in this way. And maybe we can even go right down the line and say, and grandson and great-grandson, right? This has been centuries, and the Lord is finally bringing the judgment. So, So his position is to say, no, this has been an unbroken line in your people, and so therefore the punishment will come. You had a couple moments along the way where there was repentance and where People tried to restore certain elements of proper worship in your country and in your community. And we saw a certain level of, you know, renewal and revival going on. But you faltered back. So here comes the punishment. You're going to experience it the way that it was intended. Your iniquities, the iniquities of your father together, together says, says the Lord, who have burned incense on the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. Now, when it talks about having created these abominations on the hilltops, in their day, there were those that were trying to justify themselves and say, we used to previously worship on the mountaintops and then it was mandated that we go to jerusalem and we worship in jerusalem in that way so even if they weren't so rebellious that they were worshiping false gods on the hilltops within their own communities in their own homes and they were worshiping jehovah god they weren't being obedient and going to the temple in the way that they should they're doing that whole thing of i worship god in my own way there's a prescribed method of worship and especially for the Jews in this day, there's a very particular method for everything. And they've got the attitude like, yeah, well, that's not really all that important. We'll do it the way we enjoy it. Why well, got to travel all the way down. I'll offer the same sacrifice. I'll give it in the same. I'll just do it. My, you're not a priest. You're not a Levite. This doesn't bring you together with the rest of the congregation of Israel. It doesn't cause you. Maybe some of them would have actually held the priests accountable and said, What is this whole ripoff thing you got going on here with the money changers and the sheep and the way that you're making yourself rich on, you know, blocking up the court of the Gentiles so that they can't come in here and worship the Lord. You know, the accountability of coming together as body in fellowship. It has to be a two way street has to be a learning process and a growth process for all. Instead, the Lord is saying, no, you've done your own thing. You've blasphemed me. Therefore, I will measure out their former work into their bosom. You You want this fire, destruction, and death? Here goes. This is your dose. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake that I will not destroy them all. It's um in the Jewish culture and language, it's quite poetic, but it's the idea of pulling off the per- perfect cluster of grapes. And yeah, okay, I, you're going to get a certain level of juice and wine through fermentation out of that, but it's such a thing of beauty, why would you destroy it? You know, it's almost like a bouquet of flowers. You just freshly harvested cluster. Duh. And the Lord is saying it's kind of a senseless thing, because you need you know, you're gonna eat you're just gonna save this, you know what I'm saying? It's not gonna last forever. Needs to be put to use. But for the fact that we're talking about the elect, for the fact that we're talking about a remnant. It touches the Lord's heart. He that's why he uses this sort of quirky illustration of why wouldn't I crush a cluster of grapes or or at least eat them? Why wouldn't they be consumed why and and they're putting the picture forward of well it's it's you know the descendants of Jacob they're you know the ones that you've uh you know preserved and actually called your people. So For a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake, that I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it, my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down in, for my people who have sought me. Amen. Why, why go on with the human race? Why? Why would you bother? Your gut, you could just start over. You could wipe the slate clean. You could create it in that ultimate state. No, because it is that issue of genuine love. People who, through the process, even of our own failures, still love the Lord, still love him for who he is and what he does all that he provides, we love him. So because of that, he being a God of mercy, preserves, protects, and uh, gives us that grace. Because they people have sought him. Verse 11. But you are those who forsake the Lord. Who forget my holy mountain. Who prepare a table for God. And who furnish a drink offering for Many, therefore, I will number you for the sword. You shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Now, Gad and many, uh, there they were presenting offerings uh, to the primary gods of Israel. Fortune and destiny That was uh, who they were As a people So especially in the Hebrew language He's now saying Your fortune and destiny Is going to be the sword You know I, I, I don't know An illustration just That quickly comes to mind You know we, we use the phrase American pride right? United we stand You know the Lord might say something to us along the lines of um, you'll be united in your pride as you enter into destruction. As you experience the sword and ruin. Something that you know was very meaningful to them. You know, fortune and destiny. <laughs> Parting company, you know, fortune and destiny be upon you. The attitude that these people were condemned, the Lord is saying to them, your fortune and destiny is going to be death, war, and the sword. It's interesting how poetic the Lord is sometimes in delivering to us the very things we need to hear. That was all in an intention to invite them to repentance, not to mock them. In verse 13, therefore, thus says the Lord, God. Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servant shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart. Wail for grief of spirit, you shall leave your name as a curse to my Chosen for the Lord God will slay you, and call his servants by another name, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. He who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. <laughs> the physical idea of eating and no satisfaction, drinking no satisfaction, much more so the idea of emotional and spiritually the internals of all that you can consume is going to leave you dissatisfied there's not there's not going to be that quenching think about how many times the scripture talks about you know the sin and the the consumption of worldly things and the way we pursue and it leaves us dissatisfied woman at the well right you know, and Jesus is saying, "I'm going to give you water that's it's going to quench the thirst. You'll never you'll never thirst again." And you know, then he gives that later explanation of how it will become a torrent or a river of living water flowing out of us to others. Not only satisfaction, but the ability to provide satisfaction in other people's lives. You know, in the process of that whole thing, you know, then you get that explanation of you know those that are Going to be cursed and mourning and in grief, while there's all the contrast of those that are celebrating and experience joy and whatever. It it goes both ways, right? <clears throat> As the world celebrates right now in its pursuit of sin and legalization and promotion and acceptance of all this filth around us, they all celebrate, you know, because oh, the liberated lifestyle and the you know the freedom and all this and we mourn. Our hearts are broken, and we're depressed, and we're launched into a state of uh, almost captivity and burden, where they are feeling so liberated uh, vice versa, right? As those things are squashed and as righteousness rules and as Christ takes his throne and we all celebrate they'll be thrust into their state of mourning, and they'll be the ones sinking into punishment and despair. So when we follow the Lord there's a good and right and proper balance that occurs. We should be mourning as the world moves into its sinful celebration. You know, we're kind of like why why does it have to be like this why that's an evidence that we're children of God, the fact that we're that broken hearted over it. Our days coming. Where Christ will rule from his throne and those people will all be turned away from their celebration into the pain of what they're experiencing at that point. You know, He's going to come <coughs> and bless the earth, and you know, provide all these things. The troubles are forgotten because you know they are hidden from My eyes. Look at verse seventeen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. It really is. Um, An amazing idea that we're going to experience so much comfort that the former things will not come to mind. Um, I don't know how that's going to work. I know if I had to spend eternity thinking about the people that I loved who were not with me, in that eternity, that we're not in the presence of the Lord for eternity, it wouldn't be quite such a paradise to be there and have to bear the burden. So when I read here, you know, that the former things uh, are going to not be remembered and not going to come to mind, right now I'm kind of heartbroken about that concept, that Maybe in eternity, I'm not going to remember certain things. But at the same time, I'm kind of comforted by that. <laughs> if I don't have to think about my failures, don't have to walk around carrying the burden, scarred memory, don't have to think about the pain of the loss of people such as that, it'll be a much more enjoyable paradise, I think. Uh, without that type of uh, experience in it. i It's going to be a much better paradise. much be, How about this? A much better eternity than being separated for God, from God for all of eternity and being able to remember all those people. I wouldn't want to experience that side. Separated from the Lord and my loved ones for all of eternity. And I could still remember all of that. That's that's a hell within itself right, to consider <coughs> that type of existence for all of eternity. The glad be glad and rejoice forever in what I create, for behold I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people as joy. However, rejoice in Jerusalem, I joy in my people, the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. It's enough to be tremendous. Complete comfort in order to have that level of no more weeping, no more crying. Verse 20. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall be 100 years old. But the sinner, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. Such an interesting thing. Now, I'll never forget Chuck Smith years ago the first one I ever really heard dwell on this idea I think it was 88 might have been the last year he was alive he was saying if this is how you know we would have to live for eternity as our our body our frame continues to break down no one would want to do that I mean you see these people that are like 103, 108, 115 years old. And you get to a certain point where almost everything must be unenjoyable. Now, I, I would certainly want to continue to live and experience every moment and second of life, but you know, the the body the frame continues to deteriorate in the process. Here, those in their youth will be a hundred years old. I I would love to, you know, be in that sort of frame of mind. I mean, I'm just getting to the point at 50 years old where you're starting to see things with a different clarity. Life and behavior and, you know, priorities and importance really start to fall into place, you know, with every passing year. It'd be nice to be... Get into a hundred years and have all of that education and experience. You know, just be thinking like, hey, now now I can really get the ball rolling. You know, at a hundred. You know, acquire all of that. You got okay, okay, you had to go to school for, you know, 30 years. <laughs> but you're a doctor in three areas. You know what I'm saying? Or I don't know. I'm just saying, think about what longevity provides us with be a wonderful thing to have the Lord's, even part of his original destiny and plan and his eternal outlook, for, you know, fulfilled in our lives. To be a child at 100 years old. But the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. It, you know, have your body continue to break down and sin ever present. No, thank you. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. Now, <clears throat> most of the world functions this way, whether we're completely dialed into this idea or not, right? You don't ever anywhere really own your land or your property. I mean, stop paying taxes and see who ultimately owns it, right? I mean, you're you're leasing land. It'll be a wonderful thing to come in place where, no, nope, that's all... Like, that's that's our place. That's our home. I don't have any of that thought. Real freedom of living. Not, not burdened by all these systems we've set up, like, you know, money. <laughs> you know, basic needs. You won't have to worry about that. There won't be people taking advantage of the situation, helping, you know, hardworking. Life will be as the Lord intended it, Everywhere. They shall plant and another, they, uh, excuse me, nor shall they build in another habit. They shall not plant in another eat. For as the days of the tree, so shall be the days of my people. You know, that longevity. My elect shall long enjoy the work of his hands. They shall labor in vain. Nor, uh, they shall not labor in vain, nor shall... Uh, Bring forth children for trouble, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Everyone worshiping the Lord is uh, what it will be when Jesus Christ reigns on the earth. Um, you know this statement about being like a tree for as the days of a tree, um, we've had a couple of occasions, different airports we've been in where they have a a big ring cut like great. Right off the stump of the tree. All the rings, they have those different dates. I remember when I was in Bangor High School, they had a big cut out of a tree. And they're showing you, at this ring, Great Depression. And at this ring, and they're taking you back all these hundreds of years this tree has seen. You know, Imagine if you're in your entire lifetime, you could have seen the birth of this nation and its complete development to where we are today right this is this is the type of longevity that we're talking about here that the Lord is setting forward and saying my people my creation humanity is literally going to experience the state of existence and uh, <clears throat> they're offspring with them it shall come to pass verse 24 that before they call I will answer and w- and while they are still speaking I will hear the wolf the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw, like the ox, the dust shall be the serpent's food, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain says the Lord. So the last couple of things here, that relationship is going to be so um, complete, and the connection between us and God will be so complete uh, in this millennial state and uh, his in present, you know, or his in person ruling over creation, that the answers will be instantaneous. Prayer, prayer will be conversant. You know, the answers will be, you know, immediate, and the whole of the environment is going to be affected uh, by this righteousness and this holiness. The the wolf and the lamb. We often say the lion will lie down with the lamb, but it's actually the wolf and the lamb. Are going to feed together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox, and the dust. You know, there's still going to be the serpent's food, which was actually part of the curse. But we read elsewhere that they, um, you know, infants, will play with venomous snakes and not be harmed in the process. So, you know, all of creation changed uh, as the Lord uh, takes His throne and rules over creation. And I got to tell you again. I absolutely long for it. Some days more than others. But, um, you know, this this is our kingdom. You know, oh, elections coming up and changes and, you know, negative changes, positive changes. We're going to go our direction. Oh, who cares, really? I mean, <clears throat> vote, please. You, you know, you be involved in politics. <clears throat> you know, become a politician. Take Christ's name into that environment, please. I'm not speaking down about that at all but i mean our our lord's kingdom eclipses all of man's kingdom and i just can't wait to see the day where the skies unfold and these things begin to appear in front of our eyes and as joe foch says you know at that point we'll be watching from the mezzanine but, uh, you know, it will be that we experience what the Lord is going to do. So the great promises of Isaiah will leave off there and pick up with the last chapter uh, in the book next week. Uh, just well, I think 66 is like 24 verses. So we'll explore a couple areas while we're there next week. So why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father God, I thank you again for the way that you work, the way that we are, in fact, the vessels and you, the potter, you've molded us and shaped us, caused us to be here together in fellowship. Lord, help us to work together and see circumstances like Jesse's coming through this place and to the calvary house producing your kingdom in his life help us to have many 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 more experiences like that That we would obediently follow your leading and see your kingdom come and your will be done in us and through us and by us we pray these things in jesus name amen